Well, hello and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday. This is Pastor Adam with you again, and we are so glad to be joined this uh, for this show by two uh, great people. I'm ecstatic to have them with us. Uh, first of all, we have Pastor Paul O'Neill, who's been a guest on our show before, uh, who did a Testimony Tuesday and is joining us again for this interview. Pastor Paul, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Pastor Adam, it is my privilege to be here. Thank you. And I would highly recommend for our listeners to go back and find that episode because that was a great one. And uh, we appreciate your time being with us again today. Uh, today, our second guest with us is Pastor Brian Ronfelt, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, and he is with us from the nation of Indonesia. The city is called Bali. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, sir. Yeah, well, thank you, Adam. I appreciate the invitation. <laughs> Great. Well, um, so this was not an easy interview to schedule for three of us, but I'm glad we got it figured out. So here I am immediately after a Wednesday night service, which happens to be a Thursday morning for you guys. So this is what we do for, for you, our listening audience. So thank you for continuing to listen, and uh, we hope that you will enjoy this conversation. So, uh, Pastor Brian, uh, what we like to do to start these out is I'd like to get the conference style version of your testimony. What is God doing in Bali? Your wife's name, where you're pastoring, you know the deal. Let's do it. Okay. Well, my my name's Brian Rowenfeld. My wife Angie and I were launched out of Perth, the beach the uh, Beachborough Perth Potter's House congregation in 2020, which of course was COVID year. Uh, so we got announced in March. Two weeks later, the whole world shut down. So it was only December where we finally actually got to uh, get permission to leave Australia, and we got into Indonesia. So um, after that little sort of nine-month COVID hiccup, we finally landed in Bali in the middle of COVID season. And uh, God helped us from the very get-go just to get contacts uh, to give you a little bit of background about the demographic of Bali, it is uh, one island of many hundreds or even thousands of islands in Indonesia. It is a notoriously uh, popular holiday island, uh, also notoriously full of vice and sin um, in, in various quarters, not the whole island, of course, uh, but uh, it, is, it is certainly the place where a lot of Australians and people, Europeans, Americans, people from all over the world, Right now, Russians, Ukrainians are fleeing here um, to find refuge, uh, to be on holiday, uh, digital nomads, uh, what have you. It's the place to be. Um, uh, but from a local perspective, the local population of Indonesians, 83% uh, are Hindu, 10% are Muslim, and um, the, the, there's a small minority of Catholics and uh, nominal Christians uh, so it's a great, there's a great need for the gospel here. Many people have never heard any kind of clear presentation of the gospel. They're very limited in their knowledge of who Jesus is. Uh, many people who would not even know the reason we celebrate Christmas. Um, they only have a very passing acquaintance with the word Christmas. Um, and so we're, we've got a mission ahead of us, uh, but God's helping us. We, um, we've been here nearly or around two years now. Uh, we opened uh, in our permanent building just in January of this year, um, the building we're in now, but we had a good running head start to that. So we've, we've got a good solid core of people, uh, including musicians, including people with powerful conversion testimonies, ex-Hindus, ex-Muslims, ex-Catholics <laughs> uh, that are now currently serving God We've got a good crew of people that will come with us evangelizing on the street. Um, I think last week we had a revival uh, with visiting evangelists from Australia, Rob Gibson, and we had a good number of come out with us on the street on to the beaches sharing the gospel, sharing their testimony over the microphone and uh, giving glory to God. So uh, we're off to a good start here in Bali. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank God for that testimony. Um, Pastor Paul, since you're with us here, and we'd love to hear an update of what God is doing there as well in Thailand. Yeah, thank God the COVID uh, hiccup, as Brian mentioned, is uh, behind us. And that has allowed us to 
have visitors come, for uh, people to overcome their fear, to be able to come out to church again and meet. And uh, God has really helped us. It feels like uh, there's a, a exciting, fresh uh, time happening and ahead of us we're having uh, people come out, increasing uh, numbers in our services. God is touching people. As Brian said, Chiang Mai, Thailand is uh, not a Christian nation. Uh, uh, it's a predominantly Buddhist nation, but mixed with animism and spiritism and uh, superstition. Uh, many, many people don't have never heard about Jesus. So it's a great challenge, but a great privilege to be here. And uh, uh, we're, we're seeing God help us touch people's lives. Uh, please... Uh, Please pray for Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Mm. Praise God. Amen. Praise God for that. Yes. And so the reason that uh, that you guys are here on this interview together is because uh, Pastor, it was at Pastor Paul's uh, recommendation that we have Pastor Brian on the show. So thank you for that. We appreciate that and making the time to be here with us. So uh, as I've said before, I think it, it's uh, it's helpful to have somebody who knows the right questions to ask. <laughs> so that's going to be you, Pastor Paul. But uh, to start out, Pastor Brian, we, we um, the thing that we like to do on this podcast is we are very familiar with giving our the short version of our testimonies throughout our sermons. And even in Saturday night concert scenes, we give the five minute version. And what we like to do is uh, take a little bit more time to dive a little bit deeper into the, the long version of our testimonies. And um, so uh, we'd love to hear, first of all, about how you grew up, how and where you grew up. I'm assuming you're uh, from Australia. So for those of you, those unfamiliar with uh, Down Under, could you uh, tell us how and where you grew up? Yeah, sure. So I was um, born in in Western Australia and a very, I guess, a classic West Australian background, born in the capital city of Perth, grew up in the rural townships of um, just farming communities, wheat belt, dairy belt. Uh, so I had a rural upbringing, uh, moved back to the city as a young teenager uh, and uh, did well in school. But then uh, despite having a good family, I managed to somehow get off the rails and mix with the wrong people, I guess, got into the uh, got into some bad habits as an older teenager, um, left home when I was 17, even though I was still going to university. Uh, we were living across the road from a bottle shop, uh, right down from the nightclub district of town. And so for a number of years, my whole life just revolved around seeking pleasure uh, without too many limits on my freedoms to choose whatever avenue I decided was going to give me the pleasure I was seeking. And so that's what I pursued pretty relentlessly up until uh, the age I was about 19. Uh, I was in this, the central mall of our city uh, one Saturday night. I, I had kind of got sick and tired of the nightclub scene getting just totally wasted. Uh, what it was doing to my mind, my body, my finances, my relationships. It was just taking a very heavy toll. So I was just taking a step back, even from uh, the crowd that I normally hung with. I was just kind of just wanting to step back and just re-contemplate my life. And in that mode, I was late at night in the city, sitting on a, uh, a seat in the city, just with a newspaper in hand, they're just really thinking about life. And a, a, a disciple from the Potter's House came up and witnessed to me, uh, just challenged me about where I was at in life and presented the gospel. And it just hit me for the very first time in my life. Of course, I've been raised in a nominal Christian background, but I had long stopped going to church, found no uh, nothing that would attract me to in, in nominal Christianity and churchianity. Um, and so I, when this man asked me, what do you think about Jesus? It struck me that I just never thought about Jesus. I, I just had never as an adult seriously examined the claims of Christ. And as a person studying science at university, I was struck by how ignorant my position was. 
uh, that, that I, I had no opinion about. I had no statement that I could make, no clear, uh, concise uh, conclusion about who Jesus Christ was. And it really hit me that I had thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That um, because of a disappointing experience in church and nominal Christianity, I had decided to turn my back on Christ. Um, and so the conviction seized me. And I realized that night, it just dawned upon me that the very, uh, as I was blaspheming God as a, as a teenager in my drunkenness, in my insanity, that Christ dying on the cross, he knew my name. He knew all uh, that I would be doing uh, to defy uh, his name, but he still was willing to die for me. So I just realized what a conflict I was making of my own life and defying God, running from God, fighting God. And on the 27th of December, 1981, I decided to get my heart right with God. I attended an evening service at the Potter's House in Perth, uh, and I got radically converted. Uh, and that was part of a move of God. In that year, many young people from our city were getting saved. And, and in the following years, just in that season, many of us felt the call to preach uh, and began to find our place as a, as a disciple in the church. There was just a, a, a real slipstream of discipleship, people just heading that direction for God. Uh, and I got married to a beautiful young Greek-Australian girl uh, in 1985, and about one and a half years later, we were launched into the ministry. Pastor Mitchell was, Pastor Raymond Mitchell was my pastor. He was the man that was preaching when I came into the church. He was also the man that wow. launched us into the ministry um, in 1985 on his second tour. By now, this was his second tour in Australia. He launched us out into the city of Gosnells, which is, I think, where Paul remembers coming on an impact team from Geraldton. I guess, uh, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps that's where we met. And um, so we pioneered our first church in, in uh, Gosnells, West Australia. Uh, and um, from then, I, 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 uh, there's probably a, a bit of a history. We probably passed it about eight, nine different locations, including four overseas since that time. So we're currently on our second tour in Indonesia. No. Okay. So my question for you, Pastor, Pastor Brian, was uh, you mentioned that you had an experience that turned you off from the church when you were younger. And forgive me if I didn't hear the details on that, but can, can you um, share with us what, what that was and why it turned you away from, from Christ? Yeah, it, it, I, that's a good question. It wasn't one isolated incident, not, nothing extreme, um, but uh, I guess as a young as a young child, I was taught by a God fearing my God fearing parents to read the Bible. I read the New Testament probably uh, every year as a, like part of my reading project. Just growing up, uh, especially in uh, you know, probably eleven, the ages of ten, eleven, twelve, um, I read about the miracles of Jesus. I was astounded. Uh, Jesus was an amazing person. Uh, the, the, I was very attracted by his words, by his miracle power. But in contrast, I went to church and I was bored stiff. My, probably the worst hour mm. of the week was Sunday morning going to church. It was, I, I just uh, had no appetite for church. Um, but we were committed to going to church every Sunday. But I did not meet Christ in the church. Uh, when I had questions that were stimulated from the scriptures that I read, I had questions such as, uh, when can I be sure my sin is forgiven? Uh, what about these words that Jesus says, myself and the Father will come and dwell within you? When is that going to happen? I mean, hmm. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. Uh, I've, I've had the archbishop from the city come and lay his hands upon me, but nothing's changed. When is this transformation going to take place in my life? I mean, I really do want to know God. Uh, help me. Uh, these, these are the, my questions to the priest. And he was totally lacking in any substance of any answer that he could satisfy the spiritual thirst that I had as a young man. So that's what I mean by negative experiences, disappointment and disillusionment. I, I just began to see the church as just representing man-made religion, 
So my conclusion was, therefore, Christianity is just a man-made religion, great stories in the Bible, but no connection with the reality, no relevance to the life that I was living. Wrong conclusion, but that was the conclusion I came to at the age of somewhere between 13 and 15. I stopped going to church at 15. Did you have uh, brothers and sisters in the home? Yeah, I had an older sister. Um, I think she felt similar to me. Uh, So as a family, our church life began to wane. It just began to drift. I think my parents continued to go to church, maybe not every single week, but um, uh, the things of God were no longer a priority at all. Um, So when I got radically converted at the age of 19, it was a total uh, out of the blue. It must have absolutely astounded my parents. I remember, Mm. uh, I don't think I told them because I, at that point I wasn't, you know, in a really strong, close relationship with them. But I think when I got baptized a week after I got saved, I got baptized and I told my family, I said, hey, I've got baptized. <laughs> and it must have just totally blown their socks off. Because uh, at that point, they, they had seen me spiral into drug addiction, just a totally ungodly, prodigal son kind of life. And uh, just turn up and just say, hey, Mum, Dad, I've been baptized. <laughs> Must have been been quite a surprise. Yeah, I just wonder uh, if that experience uh, of you being disillusioned by the church and especially by that priest you mentioned, has that shaped your uh, how how you approach other people or has it shaped your ministry? In other words, are you are you um, conscious of people who are in that questioning mode? And does that does that affect you at all? Or do do you think about that? Yeah, 100%, Adam, a very insightful question, actually. It, it does, and, and many times I actually share that with even the people in Bali, that I'm convinced that there's many people that have never heard a clear, uh, clear presentation of the gospel and of salvation. Um, even the nominal believers that we meet here in, in uh, Bali, Indonesia, much of nominal Christianity here in um, Indonesia or I should say much of Christianity here is nominal. And so my testimony really does strike a chord with those nominal Christians because many of them are exactly the same boat. But then even with the Hindus and Muslims, it's many times they they are not equipped with knowledge or understanding or um, they've never heard the clear message of the gospel. So I'm convinced if they do hear the good news that God is able to uh, just by his sovereign grace, by the Holy Spirit, the, the ring of truth that accompanies the clear presenting of the gospel strikes conviction. God is faithful to his word. And so that's why we have seen a gathering of people uh, to come into the kingdom of God here in Bali is because people are able to relate to, to a testimony of uh, not knowing truth and hearing truth and able to respond to the truth that they're hearing. Amen. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you mentioned. The the Perth church in the time that you got saved was experiencing some revival and Pastor Mitchell was there uh, to, to shepherd that. And um, for those of us who were not around, well, uh, I, I'm a, uh, I hope I don't, um, embarrass you by saying that I was born in the same year, 1981, <laughs> you, that you were spiritually reborn. <laughs> but uh, for those of us who are not around in that time, uh, I'm just wondering what what do you remember from that uh, from Pastor Mitchell's ministry at the time and how that has echoed down through your your salvation. Yeah, Pastor Mitchell, uh, that whole season. Uh, was was very flavored with just just a, a very powerful move of God. What can I say? It was just a, a raw move of God. Uh, youth just responding, powerful testimonies, uh, people energized by the Holy Ghost, passionate for God, could not keep quiet uh, about and just sharing the gospel message. So I was evangelized 
11.30 at night on a Saturday night by people wow. who just spontaneously went out after the concert when other people were just going to bed. These three young single people from the church just went out on the streets on a whim, and that's how they met me. And but that was very typical of what, in those years, uh, you know, we couldn't get enough of preaching the word of God and witnessing, going into the city. And so it was very common for people after the concert scene, even though they've done evangelism during the week, they'd go out again after the concert scene at night and, and just spend, even the, up until the early hours of the morning evangelizing, people coming out of nightclubs. So I was caught up in, in that and so uh, and became part of that. And so there was very much a move of God which created a slipstream, you could say a discipleship slipstream, uh, where many people just wanted to pursue the will of God. Pastor Mitchell, an incredible example of a man whose uh, single obedience to the word of God has changed the world, changed our generation. Uh, what an example to follow. And so we were caught up with the same vision that perhaps our obedience to God could make an impact upon other people, could make an impact upon our generation. So and maybe, uh, Pastor Paul, you can you can chime in also about this. And um, so Pastor Mitchell's ministry in Prescott started in 1970, and it was a, a wave of revival that was happening in the United States at the time, the Jesus People Movement. Was there something equivalent or similar to that happening in Australia? Uh, a few years later, like in late 70s and early 80s, or was this something really unique to Potter's House Church? I'll defer to you, Brian. Um, well, I, I'd say there was definitely a connection between the Jesus People Movement in the US and in Australia. It seemed there might have been like a 10-year gap or um, we, we may be sort of five to 10 years behind the US in, in terms of what we saw happening and the years in which it was happening. Uh, just listening to the stories of many Australians who were converted in that season, not just in the Potter's House, there was a move of God, I think that was affecting our whole nation. Uh, many churches were, were, were coming onto the scene and seeing growth in that time. And especially in the late seventies, uh, Potter's House started in 1978 uh, that was when Pastor Mitchell launched the first couple. Uh, and uh, that was when we saw the maximum impact, I, I, I guess, from in our, from our church's perspective, 78 until uh, right through the 80s um, was, was a time of pretty impressive outpouring and a, definitely a season of God's spirit moving, many youth being swept into the kingdom of God. If, if I could add, I... I Amen. think uh, that there's a connection between the questions you've asked and Brian's answers. Uh, the, the Jesus People Movement, uh, the equivalent in Australia, was amongst lay people. Uh, ordinary people were being touched. Um, musicians were being saved. Uh, lives were being transformed. So even where I... Uh, I lived and went to school in 1980. My guitar teacher was a born-again Christian, and uh, there was a move of God through the musical uh, community. Uh, country music mu musicians, rock musicians in the 70s and 80s were, were being converted. So I, I, I definitely think that there, there was uh, a, a Jesus people movement in Australia also. Well, and I think it was uh, something of a, um, a greater movement in the Western world because uh, that's almost the same time when the, um, the churches in Holland began to have similar revival. So there, there was definitely something unique about that time and uh, that's the kind of thing we're praying for to be poured out again yes, in our I generation. Mean. Yes. yes I mean. yep. So uh, go, going back to uh, Perth. And so you said you were saved in 1981 and then launched out to pioneer your first church in 1985. Was that correct? Uh, we got married in uh, 85. I was launched out oh, in 86. 86. So you were on the, the fast track, uh, but did it seem like it at the time? 
Yeah, that, that God was doing accelerated work. Well, uh, there was four and a half years. I was four and a half years in the body from being saved until we were launched out, which at the time I felt, man, that's pretty slow. Because <laughs> I was getting launched out within three years. Um, the guy that led me to Christ, uh, he was probably launched out at, at about his three-year point. And so he was my uh, role model. So I'm looking at him going, oh, man, what's wrong with me? I'm taking four years, <laughs> four and a half years. Um but, um, but many people were being launched out, uh, not only young in Christ, but young, young uh, at, a, at a young age. Um, we were 20, uh, I think I was 23, when I, we were launched into the ministry. I was married at 22, launched out at 23 years of age. And uh, by, by no means did we think, think that was extremely young. Relatively, that was kind of, many of us were getting launched out around about that age group. And um, uh, and we we pioneered our first church, um, and after one year we moved on to our second church, and that things were moving pretty quickly back in those time, days. Wow, so how many? Um, so you had the first church, the second church, and then uh, when was it that you first became a missionary? Uh, in nineteen ninety, my wife and I were launched to China. Uh, wow. I, and what uh, city was that? Yeah. Guangzhou, which wow. is now where we have the, the yeah, the, um, I guess the leadership church in China is in Guangzhou. That's the city. Well, we China in. of 1990 was very different than China of 2015 when our fellowship seemed to rush in with many, many more churches there. So mm. it was, uh, mm. I, I'm just curious what it was like for you while you were there. Yeah, this was still the old China, just beginning to transition into the modern China. Uh, people were still wearing Mao suits. Uh, the Most people rode a bicycle. There were very few vehicles. I think around about that time, the total number of vehicles in China was only about 4 million cars, taxis, wow. trucks in, in all of China, if you can believe that. So, but the streets were full of bicycles. Uh, there was much less pollution. I guess that was a positive. <laughs> um, and the 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 social atmosphere of China, uh, the young people were really disillusioned with communism. It was a year after Tiananmen Square. Uh, the young people wanted they wanted to all leave China and go to the West. They wanted to learn English. They were hungry for any new ideas, something to change their situation. Um, the uh, Deng Xiaoping, I think, had just begun to modernize the economic uh, profile of China so that they were starting to operate in a free market economy um, and people began to earn money. Just for the first time, they were breaking out of the, the communist uh, sort of economic uh, uh, model and they were beginning to pursue a free market economy. So there are a lot of things happening. It was a time of transition. And, and so we saw uh, a, a quick little work come together of people that were hungry for God, hungry for the word of God. Well, and what was the, what was the inspiration for you to go to Guangzhou? Hmm. Uh, I felt distinctly led specifically to the city of Guangzhou. Uh, we had begun to see an impact made in Perth, Australia, among... Cantonese-speaking Chinese uh, and also Mandarin-speaking Chinese. But we were probably closer relationally to the Cantonese-speaking ones. Um, and so we were making a lot of friends from people from that particular part of China. Uh, the, 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 that, that part of the city of Guangzhou or Canton was seen as perhaps a, a more, um, a, a bit of a renegade city people whose mindset was willing to break away from the uh, North, the, the mindset of the, the communist North, <laughs> and be thinking a bit more independently. They, they spoke a different language, and they were willing to think independently, maybe willing to step out of the strict confines of the control of the communist North. Uh, so we, we were drawn to the city of Guangzhou, and that's where God opened the door. And I got a, we got a job there. Uh, as I began to pray, I said, God, if you will open a door for us to work in China, we will willingly go and give our lives to serve as missionaries there. And so God opened a door. 
which was remarkable because I thought my thought was that you had to have university level education. But my job at the time was working as a, uh, we call it a brickies laborer. So a, a base level construction worker. Uh, and, and so here we were working in Perth, you know, just this laboring job. Suddenly God opens the door for us to go and teach at a university in China. So uh, that's a transition. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, our church sent an impact team to Guangzhou. I think the year was 2013 when the Bodnikis were there. I don't know if you know them. But uh, yeah. so I, I got to see a little bit of what you're talking about, kind of more of the independent streak. It was the first time I was in China, so I don't know any difference. But <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was quite an experience to see. And what was the population during the time you were there? Um, I believe the population of Guangzhou was, if you're asking about the city, was yeah. reputed to be 7 million from memory. But mm -hmm. of course, sometimes these, uh, you know, they've got a, um, uh, so it could be 7 to 10 million, depending on the time of day. <laughs> uh, people coming yeah. in from the, you know, from the rural areas to work. Uh, so it's very difficult to be exact about the population. Um, but yeah. that's a figure I seem what to remember. And was, was that an adjustment for you to live in such a sea of people? Um, yeah, it's a big city. Uh, and But we, we just felt that this was the most awesome privilege that uh, could ever be imagined. Uh, my thought was those poor guys stuck in the West in Australia <laughs> don't get to go on this adventure for God. I, I seriously, I, I thought oh, we, we are the most privileged, blessed people on earth that we get to come on this adventure for God, uh, step out and see what God will do. Uh, so we just enjoyed, we relished the opportunity, everything that was different, everything that was foreign from the food to the language to the smells to the just the culture uh, was just thrilling. And we would stop on the street sometimes and just stop still and just look around us, do a 360 pan, just take in all of the different uh, uh, stimuli, visual, you know, all the sounds, the smells, and just uh, the thrill of just being able to just, as I say, be on foreign soil and represent the gospel and to see what God would do. It was just amazing. Well, that's exciting. Did you have children with you when you went to Guangzhou? No, we still didn't have any kids at that point. But my, my wife got pregnant in China. And so we'd been wanting kids for about six years. Uh, we'd been married about six years. At that point, she finally got pregnant in China. Um, and so uh, another couple from Australia who'd wanted to come to China took over our church just at the right time to enable my wife to go back to Australia to have the baby. And while we were back in Australia, having the baby um, because this couple had ostensibly taken over our church. I, I, I kind of felt a little bit at liberty to shop around and see what other open doors might be uh, out there in the English teaching world, because that's how we got into China. So my curiosity was peaked, if you like. And I, I found out that in fact, there was quite a few countries that would open the door to somebody who'd go in as a teacher in teaching English. Uh, and so a door opened, as I began to make calls, a door opened to Jakarta, Indonesia. I had never thought about this before. I had never been to Indonesia. Uh, but as I presented that to my pastor, I began to feel stirred that maybe God would have us go to Indonesia rather than just go back to China. And so that's exactly what happened. In 1991, we were launched into Jakarta, Indonesia. Wow, that's incredible. So the good thing about that is that uh, you, you, if you know how to speak English, then it's not that big of a leap to teach people English, especially at a basic level. So that mm -hmm. seems, it, would you say that that is still a good strategy for finding open doors into other nations? Yes, I, I think um, perhaps the way our fellowship's operating now, we... Uh, I, the ideal is not seen to be uh, sending missionaries overseas working jobs because that can take a lot of their time and be a distraction from the ministry. And I understand that. Um, but certainly at that time, when we were just finding our way to get into nations, 
just the very first groundbreaking steps. Just We just needed to find a way to get in. Now down the track, we, we have found other ways. We've found other different visa options. Nations have adapted their uh, the, the, the number of options available for getting in. So we've found other ways to get in. But at that time, English teaching did open the door to a number of different places for us. Uh, we did the same in Vietnam. Uh, four years later, we went into Vietnam as English teachers. And that, that paved the way for us to have our first church in Vietnam. So, um, Pastor Paul, I'll bring you into the conversation here. So when, when you came into the church, uh, Pastor Brian was pastoring in, um, in Australia. And so you got to kind of observe him going out to all of these places. Uh, I'm wondering what, what was your perspective on, on that? Yeah. So, uh, I've just been enjoying listening to this interview, Adam and Brian, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to continue listening, but, uh, that's a good question and insightful question. And, uh, I, so, uh, when we got saved, uh, I think the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of our fellowship is that we are a, a lay people movement. And that struck me when the first Sunday morning I went to church, I got saved on a Saturday. I went to church on a Sunday morning and I saw this man preaching and I thought, he's just an ordinary man. He didn't have a dress on. He did, didn't uh, do any rituals. Uh, he was speaking uh, with authority, and I thought I could do this. That was the that was the the feeling that the spirit that captivated me was that uh, that that maybe this is all about me one day doing this. And so uh, I got saved in 1986, and I think Brian mentioned that year that. Uh, that was Brian. Was that the year that you went to China? To, to, to sorry, to Gospels, yeah. we to so Brian went out to mm. pastor the year that I got saved. And as a new convert, I went on an impact team and met Brian there. Uh, and so, uh, he was he's always been i don't as i said before the interview i don't have any stories about brian as a long-haired hippie uh before he got saved but he's always been a, a great example uh he's been uh, a bit of a hero in our fellowship he's uh, probably done more missionary posts than anyone that i know uh in more countries than anyone that i know and uh uh uh, he actually, I had the privilege to visit Brian in Indonesia, and uh, when I went, uh, the, I think that maybe the first impact team I went on was to Brian's church in Gosnells. Uh, uh, the first time I went overseas was uh, uh, on uh, as a pastor to preach a revival. First time I ever went overseas. I had been on an impact team before that, but uh, was to Brian's church in Jakarta, Indonesia. And so I was, as Brian said, I also was captivated by the incredible adventure, uh, the exciting opportunity, perhaps uh, the greatest privilege on earth was, was to go on an impact team was to uh and to be able to go overseas and to be a missionary so i've gone all over the place there <laughs> well i don't know if i answered your question but uh no absolutely i'm wondering if if his example has played into your decision to also be a missionary oh, in thailand so um when i when what I think what we were saved in was was infectious and contagious even on the the local level. Uh, I've, I I got filled with the Holy Spirit and the church want, wanted to preach the gospel. Um, uh, I believe that God could use an ordinary person that that uh, w with all of my problems only gave me more of a des desire to live for God 
more and do more for God. And so he who is forgiven much loves much. And so I, uh, we teach and preach and believe that our mistakes before are not a disqualification for what God could do with our lives. And so, but I went to Jakarta, Indonesia. I was pastoring in Australia in a small mining town in the northwest of Western Australia. I went and uh, preached for Brian. Actually, I could tell you a story there, but I won't get go down a rabbit, Warren. Uh, uh, I, I saw what God was doing in Brian's ministry and in Jakarta, Indonesia. And I was absolutely captivated. I, I fell in love with uh, Indonesia, with Asia. I felt called to Asia to preach the gospel. Uh, it, the, the, um, it, it was absolutely an infection that got into my blood. I became addicted. Uh, and uh, Brian was a great example. Um, so I, I, I want to hand it back to you and give you more time to ask him insightful questions because he has a lot of experience i'm interested also uh in what brian would would say about and now the world is a very multicultural place australia and america and many other places are um, blending with culture and we really are reaching more than our own demographic of people uh so i'm interested in what brian would his insight on on uh presenting the gospel to people in different cultures, seeing that he's been to China, Vietnam, Indonesia, and pastored churches in Australia. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's a great question. I'll hand that back to you, Adam, to rephrase it. Yeah, so, uh, well, no, 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 that's great. I, I think just to... Um, what I'm what I'm curious about is uh, turning from looking back and, and many many uh, amazing stories, but as we are bumping up against a, a time limit, um, we it is important for us to not just think about the miracles of the past, but to make sure that we are in the place God wants us to be in the present, and so that that's where your question becomes very relevant for us, and the the world is changing rapidly around us, and wherever we are, there are people moving. There's, there's always turmoil, which pushes people from one place to another. So yeah. What, what would you say, Pastor Brian, to that question? How, how, how can we remain effective when it's not just the, uh, the, the people groups that, that tend to, that used to tend to stay together in uh, various places? Um, Look, there's, there's, uh, I think Pastor Campbell um, has a, a very good take on this. And I, I, I'm thinking of some words that he said in the past about how we need to stay fresh and willing to uh, break through new barriers, not to become complacent, not to get stuck in ruts. We need to, um, I think, reinvent ourselves could be a bit of a hackneyed phrase, but but just uh, stay flexible, to stay in tune with the will of God. There has to be a, a willingness to forsake all and to reach across barriers, whether they be cultural barriers, language barriers, comfort barriers, um, barriers in, in, in or limits in our own familiarity, our own our own zone that we normally feel comfortable and familiar with. And so there's always going to be this challenge. Um, uh, and so, but the missionary calling is something that comes upon individuals. And Paul referred to this when he came across for us on an impact team, he felt stirred. And I could see that with Paul. And um, he, he was at the time, I think he, he mentioned working with refugees in his context where he was working and, and, and pastoring in Australia. His secular job was working with refugees. So he quickly... Uh, gravitated towards the thought of this cross-cultural communication because he was living and working in that situation back in uh, Port Hedland where he was from. And so so this is what I see. Some people are uniquely stirred by the by the missionary call and um, and God is, is always seeking uh, a man who will stand in the gap. And in our fellowship, not everybody's called to be a pastor. Certainly not everybody's called to be a missionary. But there are some that are, and the future really depends upon those who are 
to be willing to step out, not to just follow the pack, but to be willing to make the sacrifices to begin to consecrate yourself. Um, Paul has certainly made a very impressive effort learning Thai so he can reach across the, the language barrier and reach the Thai people, and that's going to reap dividends. And I think uh, we see people like um, Pastor Perry Dominguez, who's learnt Russian um, and has made very strong, uh, had taken very strong steps and, and uh, to to basically break through uh, barriers and to reach cultures of people that are vastly different from himself and his background. And so this is, I think, this is the big challenge that we we. Uh, basically be willing to to press through and 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 break through and and squeeze through the the small apertures <laughs> i see it uh whether it be linguistically you know just to basically uh challenge allow ourselves to be challenged and inspired to rise up to the challenge of reaching foreign nations I, i'm not sure if i'm answering the original question very concisely but i'm just uh so feel free to I think you're, I think you're kind of wander off the track there. I think you're right on target. I think that we have a rich history of this going back to the to the New Testament, and you can even find it in the uh, forefathers of a faith. But specifically, Jesus, his first uh, his first time that he's revealing himself as the Messiah is to a Samaritan woman, which was culturally very different than what he was used to. Yeah. And then you have the struggle in the book of Acts as the church is trying to reach beyond its own uh, audience of the Jewish people and begin to make inroads into the Gentile world. And there was a real struggle with that, that they had to discomfort themselves in order to begin reaching the people God called them to reach. And I think that that is uh, still our challenge. I mean, even just going on a Saturday outreach uh, we've got to have the willingness to discomfort ourselves and, and lay our um, our own comfort at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I'm, I need to be bigger than something just uh, than my own comfort and convenience. So this is a, I think it's an ongoing challenge for believers. Maybe both of you could take a minute to speak to the people who um, uh, perhaps you could speak to a pastor who's, who's considering a missionary call, or you could speak to somebody in a, in a local congregation who wants to support the missionary call, or even just to encourage them in reaching out beyond themselves to do something greater for God. Mm -hmm. um, Pastor Brian, why don't you take that? And then Pastor Paul, you can take a crack also. Yeah, well, one of the things, and uh, one of the things that I've always I guess try to apply is when I feel burdened for a people or for a nation, I don't necessarily automatically assume, okay, God, that must mean you're calling me to missionary to go there, but I'll begin to pray. I'll begin to pray and just find out what God, uh, how God wants me to approach that. And so with the Chinese, for example, the, one of the first things I began to do is, okay, God, if you want me to reach the Chinese, I'll start right where I am. And there's, there's Chinese all over the world. So where we were living in Perth, we began to reach Chinese, began to learn their language, try to understand their culture, just began to take those steps. And as God began to show that he, that, that he was pleased with that and God gave us favour in impacting them, then I began to say, God, well, where do you want us to take this? Do you want us to go to China? If you do, then open a door. And God opened the door. And so I think there's many ways that we can impact multicultural, even from our own cities as a disciple in our church. Uh, we can have a, and there's people doing that in, in our church in Perth have, who are burdened and even to start even teaching English in their, in their mother church because to, to help the migrant people around them to, who are beginning to come into the house of God, whether it be in America or in Australia, to begin to understand the language so they can hear the preaching. That, that, that's one role that people can serve as cross-cultural evangelists, if you like. And, but out of that, God can raise up missionaries. Um, and so there's many different ways, it, just even in our prayer life, we can be a missionary in our prayer life, we can be a missionary in our giving. But ultimately, through that, as we begin to follow and pursue those paths, God, God is certainly able to confirm his calling and raise up missionaries who will 
cross the threshold and actually go overseas. So going on impact teams, uh, I think all of those things are all healthy preludes to actually becoming a missionary. So um, I would encourage anybody who feels a stirring towards cross-cultural evangelism, start where you are. Uh, start praying for other missionaries. Go on an impact team. Uh, study, learn. Um, work with foreign nationals where you are in your home setting. Uh, start reaching out cross-culturally because it's a big thing. Uh, we need to begin to um, just begin to understand our enlarge our understandings about how foreign cultures think, how different they are. Uh, there's a development of skill and uh, an enlargement of heart that takes place just as we begin to engage the challenge of reaching out to people of different backgrounds. Amen. Pastor Paul, uh, you want to add anything very to that? Good, Brian and uh, it is a very good question, Adam. Uh, I, I would just say that I believe that God's heart is for the nations uh, and uh, God's heart is for the regions beyond. And as, as Brian said, that can be across the street. That can be at your workplace. Uh, our world is becoming a smaller place. People are being displaced. People are moving uh to other nations and that can be for work that can be because of crisis as we are living in this time in which we're living in uh crises are becoming greater and and so there are people all around you from other places from other nations from other areas and they they are hurting uh, if you have had to leave your uh, home, town, country, nation, family, language, uh, you are hurting and you are lonely. Though, uh, so I would encourage people to reach out to them. And and if you will reach out to people, as Brian said, it can be in prayer, it can be in inviting people to, to church, to dinner, to to uh, your, your celebrations and festivals that they have, may have never experienced. Uh, we one of the strategies we have in Chiang Mai is that we invite people to celebrate Christmas. Uh, people have never celebrated Christmas and they're incredibly attracted to that. Uh, but uh, if you will reach out to people, God will meet you. God, God will uh, help your efforts. As Brian said, that does not mean that he might send you. You need to talk to your pastor about that. But if you feel called to uh, the nations, if you feel called in that way, talk to your pastor about that. Tell your pastor of, of your the burden upon you. But God will meet you. God will meet you with power. God will meet you with finances. Uh, one of the very exciting things that happened in my life, I've, I've had many powerful experiences with God. But when I put my feet on the ground of another nation, I felt God meet me in an incredibly powerful way and I, I felt that I knew that God had called me to be a missionary uh, my my prayers became more powerful my my prayers here in Thailand I I feel that God is God's heart is for the nations but God what probably one of the most exciting things I would do I would say to people whether you're a pastor and you're not called overseas I would like to speak to you and say, have an expression overseas, uh, uh, send an impact team, send an impact team to Bali, uh, send an impact team to Chiang Mai. Um, uh, pray for, do what Pastor Adam did in his church and have a missionary meeting once a month and pray for churches, uh, get get testimonies of those churches. Uh, but But God will enlarge you. One of the most exciting things that will happen is that if you will reach out in your vision and in your prayers and in your evangelism, even within your town, God will enlarge you. God, meeting people and, and reaching out to people from another culture, another language, God will enlarge you. You will be incredibly touched by their, uh, their traditions, their cultures. You will learn from them. God will do a work in your heart. So I would, I would just encourage people to, to pursue that and to think about that. And lift up your eyes and look on the fields, they're white to harvest. 
Amen. I can I can testify to what you're talking about and uh, having experienced that in my my own life and in our church. And um, uh, I think it was Jordan Peterson who said, uh, "Don't fall for the the big idea of going out to change the world without cleaning up your own room first. And uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you guys are saying here is that we can get caught up in the the romance or the big idea of world evangelism and Thursday night um, of conference and sending out missionaries and kind of just focusing on that and the big giving and the big offerings that it is necessary. Sometimes world evangelism can literally start with what you guys are speaking of and find the the local community of somebody that's right around the corner first and uh, see what Mm. doors God will open. That's, that's fantastic advice. And I, I I pray that people hear this and would, would go and do that. So to close this out, Pastor Brian, maybe you can share with uh, our audience, perhaps some of the the struggles that you're having now that we can pray for. Um, I know that, um, that no doubt there's a challenge uh, being in a Muslim nation and seeking converts. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how it is in Indonesia, but uh, I've heard in other Muslim countries that that can be very challenging. Maybe you could share some of that and uh, and what we can be praying for for you. Yeah, well, there's undoubtedly undoubtedly spiritual strongholds here um, and just the way people view um, uh, the way that, that to conduct a relationship with God is is very obviously very unbiblical. So we, we, we need just God's help supernaturally to break down strongholds. Uh, it's it's the people here are very polite. It's easy to gain people's um, uh, ear to get to get a chance to speak to people. They'll listen, but to get converts is is another challenge, and to make those converts disciples. We're facing the similar sort of challenges in, that we'd face in the West. It's not necessarily or automatically a quick process. So, to, you know, if, if people would pray for radical conversions and and discipleship, like that God would accelerate uh, people's willingness to be discipled, which which comes down to personal decisions. Um, that's the sort of thing that we would would pray that uh, that that would begin to happen. That God would bring in, just like we see in the Book of Acts, key people that uh, God would raise up laborers and uh, p- people that would reach their own communities. Um, and, and God would begin to raise up leaders that would multiply uh, the effectiveness of the work that he's begun to do here in Bali. Amen. You mentioned that you were in Jakarta the first time in Indonesia, now in Bali. Are there other uh, fellowship churches in the nation? Yes. Yeah. At the moment, we there are, I believe it's five, six fellowship churches in Indonesia. Four of them are in Jakarta. Uh, we have one in Bali. I believe there's another one starting very soon in another location. So, uh, yeah, so there's five soon to become six. Well, I always like to give missionaries the opportunity to put the call out there. I, I can imagine that there's probably room for more missionaries in Indonesia. Is that true? Absolutely. It's the fourth largest nation of the world, uh, following, uh, I believe, it's China, uh, India, and the U.S. We're number four. Um, and so having only five churches here, there's certainly room for more. And across, right across a, a swathe of uh, 13, somewhere between 13 and 17,000 islands uh, with different language groups. It's a very diverse place. Uh, definitely, we could do with some more missionaries. Well, that is how we will close this interview out with a with a reminder of the great need. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. And we're praying. Uh, my prayer recently has been for this podcast audience that somebody would hear some of these testimonies and uh, that would respond to a call to uh, to a missionary calling. I think that that would be great. <laughs> so let Amen. me uh, let me just say Amen. thank you to both of you, Pastor Paul and Pastor Brian. We appreciate your time and setting this aside for us. Thank you so much to uh, both thank- of you. Thank you, Adam. It's a yes, privilege. Thank you, Adam. And you're doing a great job. 
Well, if you don't mind, I'll uh, I'll close this out with prayer, and then we'll uh, we'll wish uh, the the listeners a warm farewell. Lord, we are just so grateful for the great ministry and the the testimony that you have built in Pastor Brian and also in Pastor Paul. God, we're just praying that your covering would be over them and uh, the work that you're doing through them. And I'm praying, Lord, that that you would multiply and that you would just give them open doors and the converts that they are, uh, that they need in the time that they need them. Give them uh, talented people and connected people that are able to fulfill the, the desires of their heart as they lead these thriving works, God, both in Thailand and in Indonesia. God, open the door, and I pray for those that have listened to this uh, to this interview that you would inspire them and that you would use this testimony uh, to, to bring people closer to you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to all of you listeners Amen. who have made it this far, we thank you for being along for the journey, especially to you premium subscribers who make this possible as we support world evangelism through this podcast. So uh, once again, Pastor Brian, we appreciate you. It's wonderful to meet you. I hope uh, we get to speak again sometime. Yeah, thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your program and um, the great work you're doing. Keep it up, Adam. And Pastor thank Paul, you, thank you again. Always Great a pleasure to, to again, speak with you Adam, as well. And uh, thanks for all that you're doing on the podcast, uh, touching people all over the world, encouraging people. And I knew that they would be encouraged by Pastor Brian's testimony and experience. Uh, pray for Bali. Pray for Chiang Mai. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and nice. we'll see you next. Yeah, we'll see you next time on Testimony Tuesday.